Oh, amen. Well, uh, yeah, I just want to encourage you. I mean, we have a lot of fun actually writing the letter uh, to the children that we pack boxes with Jackson. Jackson's four and a half, our son, and uh, it's really fun just writing a, a short but clear gospel presentation in the box uh, and talking him through what we're saying and why we're sending it uh, and then praying over it together. Uh, it's much more than just putting a box together and praying it ships off somewhere. I really encourage you to uh, actually actively do that. If you have children, it's a great way to participate and uh, get them thinking, and it, it really does sometimes more for you as a family than even uh, what you think it's going to do and what, what it will do uh, across the globe. So anyways, encourage you to do that. We'll get you guys the date. It's usually end of November when we'll do the final collection, but as you bring them in, you can, you can leave them at the information desk that we've kind of finished building. We're beginning to uh, put on display, but you can, you can drop them off there uh, as you can over the next couple of weeks. And uh, other than that, why don't you grab your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, if you are new visiting, uh, thrilled that you're here. We know that, that many come in this place who do not uh, know Jesus, that do not have a saving knowledge of him. So we're thrilled that you're here to learn more about this Jesus Christ that we believe is God and did pay the debt for us in our place for our sin and offers reconciliation with God. And so um, what we normally do, just so you know, is we normally take a book of the Bible and walk through this book uh, all in, in its fullness, right? Chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse, so that we would get the full counsel of what God wants to say to us. And um, sparingly, we do uh, kind of topics or subjects that we feel like God's just leading us to walk through as a people. So um, we finished Ecclesiastes. We've been in what's known as identity. This is who we are as a people. Now, this is very important. Um, identity is not just um, values that we share. You'll hear a lot of churches talk about, hey, these are our values. These are our distinctives. That, that's great. These are much more convictions. Convictions are things that you will actually sacrifice for. Uh, values are just things that you share. So we want you to know these things are things that we will die on a hill on. We'll put our flag in the ground and we'll say, hey, this is what we want to drive us and we want our life and uh, time together to be about. And so we looked in the first four weeks about the great gospel of God. We talked about uh, who God is, what he's done, how he dwells in infinite perfections, how he's about his own glory and his own fame, not really about us at all. And yet we get drawn into his redemptive story, how that's great news for us because um, belittling his name and continuing to rob him of his glory is the punishment of eternal torment and hell. And we see that Jesus takes hell for us and that we can have rescuing from his son. And so uh, we ended with he rose, he didn't just die. Our gospel is a death and life gospel. It's important to know the, the whole word of what that says. And so we're fueled by this gospel. It's the engine of who we are. If you take that out, it doesn't matter what else you have. I told you you can have a car with beautiful paint job and windows and windshield wipers and lights, but if you don't have an engine, you can't go anywhere. And the gospel's the engine in the church that lets it move, that fuels it. And that's all informed by last week we talked about the word of God. We talked about the fully sufficient, authoritative word of God, how we believe that this book holds all that we need to live and do life together. It saves sinners and sanctifies saints and that we need to grow in the knowledge of God through what he has said to us in his written revelation. Now, um, this rolls into this week, which is we want to be discipleship driven. Now, I realize out of the gate, discipleship for a lot of you, is a foreign concept. I mean, if I, as I've even sat down and, and conversed with some of you, you, you said since you've started coming here, this is actually the first time you've even heard that term or you've even uh, heard people say we're supposed to make disciples. Um, so I'm, I'm praying this is a, uh, a subject that really grabs hold of us in a beautiful way, whether we've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, one year, one week, two months, uh, that God would make this as a mark of who we are as a people, that we would be driven by uh, being learners, apprentices of uh, 
followers of Jesus Christ. Um, now, as we get into Matthew chapter 28, I want to say you have to start again if I can take your mind back to week one. Week one, we talked about who is God and what is he about. Now, the reason you got to start there is because everything else we do flows from that lens. And so uh, we saw in the very beginning of this series in identity that God is about his own glory, that God wants us to be most happy, most joy-filled, most satisfied as we are walking with him and enjoying the ways that he's wired us to live. Now, here's what's uh, wonderful about this is this makes the good news really good news because that means God is for our joy. God wants us to be enthralled with all that he's given us, not to be enslaved to the things of the world, but be freed to work. Worship him in the fullness of his name and renown. And so um, you have to know that God is about his own mission, okay? And so we get brought into that mission. So the mission of God and the mission of the church are not inseparable. I mean, they're not, they're not separated. They are inseparable. So um, when you ask what is God about, he's about his own name and renown. And you ask what is the church, is, what's the church about? The church is about his name and renown. Okay, so what does God say the mission of the church is to be? What are we to be about to accomplish that end? Well, Jesus gives his grand edict in Matthew 28, and he tells us, as you look at redemptive history, you can start with Abraham in Genesis 12, all the way down, God says, I'm going to make a covenant community of people that I save, that I love, despite them, who I will be, um, make them a flagship of my glory. Well, they will, they will be a visible representation of who I am and my character and nature. And then Jesus comes, and he says the same thing, and this is how you're going to accomplish it. So here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, because the motivating force of God is not for him to make much of you, but to make much of himself in you. Okay, that, that's the goal of God for you. So if I can encourage you, Christian, uh, that's God's heart, that's God's hope, right? We always say we want him at the center of the universe, that all of our planets orbit around, not us. And so here is what Jesus says. He says, we're going to make disciples, Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay. I don't know about you. You've probably heard this text so many times. Uh, but when you read texts like this and you see Jesus get up and say, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Okay. What he's saying is he's saying, um, I rule the created order. Like he's saying, I uphold everything by the word of my power. I was the one in eternity past, and I'll be the one in eternity future. I'm the one sustaining it all. I was with God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and creation, making things out of nothing. This is God in human flesh saying, I say things, and they appear. Now, why is this such good news? Because as you read this text, when you read Jesus say, he doesn't have to say, hey, all authority in heaven has been given to me. He just rose from the dead. Okay, he's walking around with his own evidence, okay? People who saw him are going, man, this guy has power. He has authority. He reminds them of who he is and who's saying this. So here's what, what's great about this. It doesn't matter what he says next. He could say, stand on your head every Friday for 30 minutes, and you'd all do it. Right, we'd all do it, right, because Jesus said it, all authority. He said, chase llamas the rest of your life. You're chasing llamas. I'm telling you because Jesus said to do this. So whatever he says next is so important to see it behind his claim. It doesn't matter how impossible it seems, it will not fail. It doesn't matter how daunting it appears. It doesn't matter how, how, how fearful we get. When he says what he's about to say next, you can bet it's going to happen. And what does he say? He says, go. Go make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, there's really, I believe, an external call in here and an internal call in here. So there, there's an external go and an internal go. Now, what I mean by that, we're going to get into that in a, in a minute, is uh, there is an external go. There are people who will leave their primary place of residency and go to nations and to make disciples. Um, but there's also, we're going to talk more about that next week in us being mission-driven, but, but I want to focus more this week on there's an internal aspect that's with us as the people of God. There's a culture we want to see that's discipleship-driven, that's making disciples. Because here's, here's the thing. As you read this and you read what he says here, that word go is passive, not active. So here's what Jesus is really saying. If you heard Jesus say this edict, he's saying, as you go to work, right, as you go to the playground, uh, as you get together in growth group, as you meet people for coffee, uh, as you have people over for dinner, uh, as you go to the train station, as you go to your Bible study, as you go, as you go about the routine of your life, make disciples, it's not this, I gotta be in Rwanda, Africa, South America, okay, then I'm doing it. No, it's, it's as you parent your kids, make disciples. It's as you come home from work and, and, and talk to your wife, make disciples. That's really what Jesus is saying here. Second, when Jesus says make disciples, um, that verb is a little bit more complex. It communicates the idea of a learning Christian. Uh, it communicates this idea that we are actually under someone, following someone. Uh, this is not something new to Jesus. Uh, Jesus was chatting with believing Jews in John 8. He said, if you continue in my word, you're my disciple. So he didn't say, what well, you gotta look at this text, you gotta say, see what he says and what he doesn't say. What he does not say is, hey, go just convert people. Hey, go make one-time decisions. Hey, get a, yeah, I'm morally conservative. Hey, yeah, I love Jesus. Okay, he doesn't say that. He says, make learners of, make joyful people who are in glad, humble obedience, faithful followers of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. That's, that's the heart of Jesus here in his edict. He wants us to be coming alongside others. He wants us to see people who grow in grace. So there's this external and internal component. So let me just give a brief word on the external before we take the remainder of our time on the internal component uh, as us as a people. Um, external. Making discipleship involves necessary articulation. That's how you guys are going, what are you talking about? Others of you are going, I know that. Uh, here, here's what I mean by this. Um, at some point, at some point, you ready for this? Making disciples means you actually say something. You actually articulate. You actually talk about who Jesus is and what he's done. I know, rocket science, right? Here's why I say this. There's this, like, idiom out there, right? And I, and I, and I love, look, I know we all love the phrase, and I don't even remember who said it, but it just caught fire, but I thought they were super godly with it. Uh, you know, always preach the gospel when necessary, use words. That's a cute idea. It's just nowhere in the Bible. Okay, so I, I just, you don't, you're not going to see it, right? So, so listen, I love relational context. I'm all about building up environments where you can graciously lay before someone the good news of the gospel. I'm not saying that there's not absolutely necessary relationship building and, and taking people out and walking with them in grace, right? You don't need to walk up to them on the street and just throw your Bible in their face and tell them they don't know scripture. Of course they don't. They're the mind of Christ. So that's stupid. So I'm not saying we don't do that, but I am saying that at some point in the line, you're going to have to actually open your your mouth and tell them what the good news of Jesus is. 
at some point. I mean, I've never had anyone at the table not see me drinking a beer going, I need Jesus. Right? No one's ever done that. No one said, I need to repent of sin. He doesn't have a glass of wine. I've never seen that happen. What I have seen is, hey, would you talk to me? Would you share with me? Would you explain to me, hey, why is it you're wired the way that you are? Why is it that you see life the way that you see life? Well, I'm glad that you asked. And then we talked to them about Jesus. And can I encourage you, don't get weird. Seriously, like I, this, is, this is one of the most basic, easy principles in articulation of the gospel. You're talking about the giants and football, and then someone just says, hey, don't you go to church? You get all weird. And then they're like, whoa. I mean, that's, that's, that's why people get weird, because you're getting weird. I don't think you realize that. Like, just talk about it like you talk about any other concept. Talk about Jesus like you talk about the thrill of, of, of that thing that you enjoy doing, that hobby you love, that sport that you play. Because then you're relieving them. Then they don't feel weird. You make them weird. I'm serious. So don't clam up. Just keep the conversation going as you articulate who Jesus is and what he has done. Half the time it's us feeling this complex, yet the Spirit of God, 2 Timothy says, didn't give you one of fear, timidity, but power, love, self-control. That's why it bothers you when you don't open your mouth, because that's not the Spirit in you. The Spirit in you is one that wants to open his mouth and wants to articulate who Jesus is and what he has done. So the gospel of grace is absolutely something that we articulate. Making disciples absolutely means that we speak, that we say, that we talk. Now listen, I'm all about the relational context. And I'm going to talk about that next week. But I'm also all about talking to people who are strangers. I'm also all about God just in his infinite wisdom and sovereignty bubbling up an opportunity for you when you're out somewhere and it's least expected where you're discerning the Spirit's voice and leading to where you can act upon that in a way that's helpful and not harmful. And I realize it's easier for me. I can ask people, what do you do? I'm a financial advisor. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Boom, I got him, right? I mean, I, I realize I have that luxury. You guys might not have that, but you can say, hey, this is also a part of my life in addition to what I do for work. The main part is us gathering with our faith family. This is why we love it. This is what we learn about. How many times do you have people ask you sometimes, what did you learn on Sunday, right? Oh, I don't know, just something about, like, Bible. What's that? What? I mean, you learned something, right? God spoke to you. So in the same way, just say, man, I was taught about God's goodness. I was taught about how, reminded how I'm a sinner and I need salvation and forgiveness of sin. I was reminded how the Bible's authoritative and helpful for me and godliness. I was reminded of my eternal state right before Jesus entered the scene, right? These are things that we want to be glad in doing. Now, I want to just encourage you before I move on to the internal uh, aspect, which is um, usually something that helps me a lot, is it's usually a prayer issue or an information issue. Um, and I do this a lot with many people that, that, I, that I desire to share the good news with. Um, and here's what this means. Um, basically, for some of you, uh, you spend your whole life praying for a particular person, but you never ever open your mouth. And there are times where God's going, okay, great. Uh, part of the answer to the prayer is your feet to your prayers and you moving. Others of you, maybe your broken record, it's really harmful because every time you see them, they're like, I've heard this 17 times. You need to remind me of the atonement. I don't even know what atonement means. I haven't done theology 101. I'm not a Christian. Um, this or that. Maybe as you have asked and shared that now it's time to beg the God of the universe to intervene because we just water and plant and God gives growth. 
So, so maybe ask yourself, in making of disciples outside of the internal here, is it a prayer issue or an information issue? And that may help you. So I want to spend the remainder of our time, though, with the internal component, us as the people of God, us as a faith family, us as people who gather together and walk together. Um, after articulation, there's movement and maturing. So this is what's great. We don't just articulate the good news of the gospel. Some of you have become Christians because you've come in this room, you've gathered with us here, you've heard God's glory declared, you've heard that you've been robbing him of glory, you've been honest in your assessment of your sin, your belittlement of his name, you've seen the rescuing nature of Jesus and his cross and his personal work, you, you saw it validated in the resurrection, you're like, man, I wanna follow Jesus, I wanna pursue Jesus, I realize that it's not just a call to like him but to submit to him, to follow him, he's my Lord, he's my Savior, he is all things to me, he's the Savior, Center by which my life depends and breaks and flourishes. And so you hear that. Then what happens is we come alongside one another and we walk. Now there's movement. Now it's not great. I made a profession. It's now let's walk. Let's, let's walk together as disciples. So look at the text again. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. See, see how there's not just make disciples, but there's this teaching aspect to observe. So what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who observes or obeys all that Jesus has said. Its, it's literal definition is a learner, a student, an apprentice of someone. So where are you gathering your stock? Where are you gathering your intel? Right, not from just secular sources, not just from the, the front row of Barnes and Noble, not just from Dr. Phil and Oprah. You're, not, you're gleaning it from somewhere divine, somewhere external, somewhere outside of you. Jesus Christ has given you the mandate of life, and you gladly walk in that for your joy and his glory. That's what a disciple is. Uh, this is why we are passionate to see people not just have some cool experience here, but man, to actually give themselves to this King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and then walk with him, and then see the demonstrative power of his resurrection in their life as they apply the knowledge and truth that they hear to the actual walking, right? Some of you guys are bored in your Christian life because all you do is glean information. You don't ever walk in it. I mean, some of you guys, I mean, Christianity is just a spectator sport for you. So you come in the arena to watch. You love just hearing some good truths. You lead, doesn't bear any weight on your soul, doesn't bear no weight on your marriage, doesn't build, build no weight on the relationship you're in or your, your neighbors or the people you're around or your friendships. It's simply intel for you. And I'm telling you, that is more detrimental to your soul to continue to hear more and more information and never walk in the stuff you've already been told. I say all the time, man, sanctification and, and walking with Jesus is almost always tied to doing the things that you've already been taught. We all want something new. Give me some new theology. Give me some cute new saying. No, just do what you've been told for seven years. And watch God act in that. Watch God work in that. So we want to see people growing in grace, learners of Jesus, because this might shock some of you. Being a Christian is being a disciple. It's not, I become a Christian, and then, oh, down the line, I'll decide to follow him. <laughs> Becoming a Christian, I mean, conversion is you saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want to walk, I mean, 1 John 2, 6, right? He goes, man, if anyone's going to claim to live in him, he must walk as Jesus walked. 
Like that, that's the desire of your heart. We're not perfect people, we're repentant people. There's no one in here, we all have stuff that haunts us, right? We're, we're not saying you walk with no sin and you, you never stumble and you never fall, but I'm saying when you do, there's repentance in your heart, there's a desire to pursue Jesus, there's a desire to grow in grace, there's at least a trajectory for you. It might not be this, it might be this, but you're still walking towards him. You're still wanting to grab hold of him. You're still asking him for help. There is no such thing anywhere in the scriptures. Let me help you without even doing your research where you're gonna find a guy who loved Jesus and then stayed the same and never had movement or maturity. He had stumblings upon the way, but he did not stand still. And that's why we want to see not a perfect people, but a repentant people. So let me stop and just ask a question. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? <laughs> but, I, but I mean it. That's great. You can answer out louder. You, you can answer in your heart. I love it. Hey, amen, sister. <laughs> Something we should be bold about. But, but hear my question from what I just said, though. Not did you make a decision when you were seven? Not, not did I walk the altar 17 times on repeat, making sure. Not I attend church. Not my family's Christian. Not my siblings love the Lord. Not my spouse is a Christian. Are you pursuing loving and humble obedience, walking in repentance under Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple? This is not a hard question. If you're having to really think about it, chase him down as your savior. Repent of your sin. Trust that he's good. Trust that he's better than the temptations of life. Ask him for help, ask him for desire. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Some of us are spiritual babies. Some of us are adolescents. Uh, we're all in different places based upon where we started and where we're at now. Um, but are you saying, I'm following, I'm learning, I'm underneath, I'm in glad, humble obedience to Jesus? 1 Corinthians 3, great text. Uh, you see Paul just get so frustrated in his, in his godly discontentment and his love for the church at Corinth. He's going, man, I mean, uh, I thought I could give you some solid food. I wanted to preach some more solid material, but I realized you were babies needing milk. I realized that, that you're kind of the same place as when I left you. So a good question to ask yourself is, um, how old are you? And I don't mean your age. I mean, how old are you in relation to when you decided to follow Jesus and today? And then I want to ask you, does it make sense what your life looks like? Are you the exact same? Are you much farther away I mean, that helps give some stock maybe if the gospel took root in your heart. You can't lose salvation. God doesn't lose who he saves. But listen, if there is no evidence at all in your life of, man, I'm, I'm maturing, I'm growing, I'm not talking about perfection. Not, you're not the Apostle Paul. You're not a pastor. You're not, I'm just saying, is there movement? Or is it just the same story every week? I would say out of love and grace, man, ask God to work there. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you maturing? Now, here's where it breaks down even a step further. Um, 
According to the scriptures, the primary way God designed you to experience the fullness of discipleship is within the local church. That's great news for us that consider this our church family, right? Like this is the, the God did not, you know, spin the wheel of fortune wherever his finger fell. I'm just going to plop him there, her there, him there, her there. No, he providentially in his grace said, you're going to be here for the fullness of discipleship, for you growing up in grace. If you look in the New Testament, there are over 58 one another's that Paul writes. They're all two specific people in a specific local church context. So as he says, do these things with one another in discipleship, in harmony, in maturing in grace, he's talking to people that are actually explicitly in a local church. He's not talking to people that are church hopping and everywhere, everywhere. He's saying, no, you guys are a part of a unique family in a specific location, specific place. I'm not saying we don't go join and love other people at a church just praise God, we are all about the universal church. But listen, if your primary growing up in grace is either you're an internet disciple because you just listen to some podcast like every Wednesday and he's your primary teacher, not your shepherd that's local for you, or you primarily are discipled by people outside of this gathering, I'm saying that Jesus would say you will not grow to the fullness of discipleship that he's intended for you to grow up in. Man, that makes our life here amazing and serious. And transformative, right? And it's hard work. Listen, I, I realize it. Does, does your own family get on your nerves? Yeah, welcome to this family. Right? I mean, listen, it's no different. Like, I mean, that family gets on your nerves. This family's going to get on your nerves, too. Blood-bought brothers and sisters in a kingdom. We're going to step on toes. We're going to say things we didn't mean. We're going to offend. We're going to ask for grace. We're going to forgive and bear. But that is, Jesus would say, a profound picture display to the world of his covenant-keeping grace, which is the whole point that we're together. Because we're about him, not us ultimately, but him being made famous. Which leads me to another question. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ in this place, are you giving out as well as taking in? Because what I find is usually people only give out, don't take in, or they only take in and never give out. And that leads to the death of a soul. Discipleship is meant to do both, right? You receive from others and you give out to others. You encourage others and you're encouraged by. You're formed by others as we grow in grace and we form others as we grow in grace. And that's why until you start to apply what you know from the scriptures, the more learning you have might be just a detriment to you. You see in John 5, right, Jesus goes after these guys who memorize the first five books of the Bible and says, you study them in vain. Because you think that is somehow where you're going to find life. You don't realize that they all testify to me, the place where life is really found. So some of us, I mean, maybe, maybe it's just all intake, man. All we do is intake, 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 and there is no outflow. Maybe some of you, all you do is look for in your good, awesome, tenacious heart to grow others in grace, but maybe you need to be humble also to receive and to welcome others who speak into your life. So yes and amen to a knowledge of the scriptures, but no to which leads to no implementation. We want to be a discipleship-driven church. Now, um, part of this teaching and obeying that Jesus gives in Matthew 28 is going to happen generationally. I, I, I believe firmly that uh, as a church, as a people, there is necessary components to peer-based ministry, life on life. We're in the same season. I think that's great and beautiful. I don't think you can monopolize either. But I do think there's also a necessary component to older and younger, younger and older. 
And Paul actually builds this out for Titus. Look at Titus chapter 2, verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Listen, um, there's so much you can say about this text. I want to just reel it in just for the the nature of my point. Um, Paul builds out Christian discipleship for Titus and basically and very simply says, hey, as you go appoint elders in Crete, as you go back to these places where you started churches, hey, uh, here's a necessary thing. Can you encourage the older to invest in the younger? And can you encourage the younger to listen well to the older? That's, that's a good word, right? That's a, that's a necessary charge. Older men, older women here, you have a responsibility to the younger. And, and we younger, we younger, I'm in that camp. I don't, this is just pastoral stress. This is not... Dude, when, when I showed up here four years ago, this was all nice and brown. <laughs> I even had somebody ask if I frosted the bottom. I mean, seriously? <laughs> Just save yourself. I, I heard the presidency and pastoral ministry do that. So, yeah, I get up every morning and I just do right here. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Okay, sorry. Um, so getting back to Paul builds this out, discipleship. We, younger men and women, right? We have an obligation to respect. He'll even tell Timothy, hey, to honor those who are older than you. Um, Is that happening in your life, right? That's not something we're going to police, but that we encourage, that we teach, that we desire to see. Uh, Some of the most fruitful things can happen in regards to discipleship when when everyone is not only walking in their own ignorance, but in across generational lines. Um, I've been profoundly blessed by the older men in this church. They know that. Uh, the ways that I've sat down with them and asked them questions and they continue to impart to me grace and wisdom. Um, that's a beautiful, necessary aspect, right, as to how God wants us to grow in discipleship as a people together. So let me just get super practical as I, as I start to land the plane. Let me dispel a couple myths because I think a lot of people struggle with the how and what it looks like and doesn't. I think expectations are crazy, and I think it's a lot more simple and we overcomplicate it. So let me give you just a couple myths that we believe. Uh, number one, I can't disciple someone because I'm not godly enough. Yes, some should not be making disciples. They're not a Christian. There's, there's clear, unrepentant sin that they just refuse to put to death or refuse to confess. Um, there might be seasons of where they need just, just healthy counseling. Um, but, but for the most part, what I find is most people sell themselves short. Uh, you think discipleship's for the pastoral elite. Uh, you think making disciples is for those who somehow have a PhD in theology. Uh, no, Jesus' command is meant not for them, but for us. His commands to all of us who have the Holy Spirit of God in us. Make disciples. 
Share what God is doing. Confess your sin. Grow in grace. Challenge, exhort, love, encourage. What a great encouragement. Some of you need to hear that. Uh, Number two, uh, whoever disciples me needs to be way godlier than me. Listen, I also find when when I sit down with people or we talk, you're waiting for Yoda or Gandalf to to come by and disciple you. And I'm just telling you, that's, that's, that's just not realistic. That's not realistic. I mean, some of you maybe just need to put down your pride and grow in some humility and just say, I, I can learn from this brother or sister God sovereignly placed in this faith family to allow me to grow in grace. Um, you don't need to wait for that magician to come by with the wand. We are called to make disciples now with the people God has given us for his glory. To see that culture formed here. It's usually not how it works. It's, it's okay to learn from those who are imperfect. Um, I would not suggest asking someone who is just starting out in their Christian walk to disciple you if you're a mature Christian. I would disciple them. I think there's wisdom in these areas, but I find a lot people think, man, that person has to be an expectation, which you'll probably never find. Because maybe your expectations are even self-righteous. The people you choose to sit under, the people you choose to listen to, need to be wise, but have an understanding ground of what Jesus is asking. Number three, only older can disciple younger. Now, we just read Titus 2. That's necessary, but I also want to say that is not saying that only someone older can disciple someone younger. Um, Paul will tell Timothy, hey, don't let people look down on you because you're younger than them. You live your life as an example. Um, I have been richly blessed by saints in this church who are younger than me who have grown me in grace, who I'm learning from. You guys have taught me, seeing your zeal, seeing your passion for the word, seeing your hold on to sound doctrine. That has encouraged me. That has blossomed my faith. That has boosted me in areas that could not have happened without you. So the bar is not age. The bar is spiritual maturity. Okay, so don't just be looking going, I only have to have an older disciple younger, but it's, it's both ways. Disciple, younger also disciple older. Number four, I can't make disciples because I still struggle with sin. Well, welcome to the club, right? Um, I'm not talking about the person that refuses to repent of sin. I'm not talking about that person, okay? I'm talking about the person who has an ongoing struggle as they pursue Christ and love Jesus and wage war on their flesh. But I know that some of you feel so beat down by the world that you feel like you have nothing to offer, And maybe your fight of the faith is what you have to offer. I mean, maybe it's your your plead for mercy daily that people need to hear. Uh, Maybe it's the way that you somehow clung on to your marriage in the midst of turmoil where God was about to eradicate your life. Maybe it's a situation you walked in where you're going, man, I don't know how God's going to deliver me. I feel overcome with temptation, and God continued to give you Jesus as his way out. I don't know what it is, but be very, very careful that you think that you have to reach a spiritual bar before you make a disciple. You need to be a Christian. You need to desire him and want to follow him, but then that's going to look so different across the spectrum. I mean, 350 people, I mean, who, everybody's at a different place in that. But the, the, the goal is striving in that and not letting the enemy keep us from some great spiritual fruit he would love to provide. Um, if we couldn't disciple till all our sins were conquered, no one would make disciples. We want transparency. We want authenticity. Um, 
And there are specific sins that may cause someone needing pastoral help or significant time. But for the most part, discipleship is just being honest about your battles and why Jesus is always the hero. And then we walk in that grace together. Um, now let me just give you a practical word on the how. Because so many people overcomplicate this. Um, discipleship is not alone. It's not solely you sitting down with Hebrew and Greek with a guy who has his MDiv and you get all the words figured out in every phrase in Christianity. Okay, that, that's, that's not how it works. That could be discipleship. Discipleship is sitting under preaching. Um, discipleship is when a guy wants to get married, doesn't really have a roadmap, reaches out to a man who's been married for a number of years and says, hey, can you walk with me? They get together, give some, some examples. They, they pray, they keep in touch. That's discipleship. Discipleship happens when, when a young mom brings back something that she lent to a sister at their house and she just starts sharing how she's overcome with inadequacy, feels like a failure, feels like an imperfect mom, feels like she can't grow her kids well, and that older mom brings her into the house, says, can we pray for a minute? Can I impart to you some scriptures? Can I encourage you in the gospel? And then checks in with her. That's discipleship. Discipleship happens when maybe a young professional uh, just goes to the same place to study because he's looking for doors for the gospel to see the same people over time, to create bridges and lanes by which he might be able to open his mouth and articulate to then see movement and maturing. That's discipleship. Discipleship happens maybe when a brother or sister notices another brother or sister going hard after their job, neglecting their family, and he steps in just to encourage them and show that work does not come above family. How can we pray about this? How can we look at the scriptures and what they have to say about this? Because work is a predominant idol in Bergen County. How, how do we, that's discipleship. Discipleship happens when a single man or single woman sees another single man or single woman, brother, sister, discontent, thinking marriage is the barometer of spirituality when marriage is not the barometer of holiness or spirituality and that singleness is a gift to be used to its best ability in the time season God has it for the building up of the church, that they are necessary to the church. That brother or sister reminds them of that Reminds them of God's design, reminds them that there is no varsity in JV, and encourages them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's discipleship. It's ongoing. It's a culture. It's, it's what we do together. So, so be careful you don't overcomplicate it. And some of you, maybe it's, it's praying, God, lead me to a brother or sister, or God, would you reveal to me someone you'd want me to pour into, someone you'd want me to receive from? And like I always say, can you be patient and gracious? <laughs> if they don't write you back in three minutes, like, you know, that's okay. You know, don't shut them out of your life. <laughs> don't say they were rude. We're a family and this takes time to grow in. I want to give you just two examples. Um, uh, two years ago, I had a couple coming in, and this will give you a flavor of what I'm talking about, and they said, hey, I want to get connected. I'm like, I know what they mean when they say that, right? Okay, so we've got on-ramps for you. We've got places you can get connected. That's not the primary way it's going to mean for you to happen. So I said, well, that's great. Um, there's a young couple that's about to be married. I, I see that you guys have been married. Probably good season. you got some kids. I, why don't, you, why don't you, they're right over there in the corner, why don't you go reach out to them? They're two months away and just ask them how you could encourage them in their marriage. No, 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 I know that. I want to get connected. <laughs> I know. 
I know. I, I was just sharing a way with, that you can. I asked. Don't worry. I asked if I could share this. Um, I said, this is a way you can. Discipleship's huge for us. It's a burn for us. So this is a p- most practical way you could actually get connected to this body. No, I want the program. I want the, you know, the 10-step process. I want the baseball diamond. Okay, yeah, we've got Cab Connect where you get to meet here at the Mission and Vision. We've got membership classes. We've got growth groups. But man, can I just encourage you in the moment a way that you could avidly get connected. They are still meeting, growing in grace, have a great friendship. That's the goal, discipleship. Um, I had another uh, single guy come in and uh, say, hey, I really want to get connected. And I knew his background, knew he had some theological training. Uh, and I said, okay, great. He goes, yeah, what groups for me? I said, okay, well, here are these groups. But guess what? There is a guy who's a seeker. He's been coming for uh, a, a couple months now. And I think you might be really helpful at maybe sharing with him some of the ways, knowing your background, being skeptical and cerebral, where you might be able to encourage him. No, I, I know that stuff. Yeah, that, that's for later. I want to get connected. Okay, I, I understand that. Like, you can join these groups, but can you understand the culture we're trying to create here? Just go speak to that brother. They have a wonderful friendship. The gospel's still being communicated, still being shared, questions still being answered. That's making disciples. I feel like we need to be careful in how we view this and frame this out. I refuse to believe, I refuse to believe that no matter how large a church grows, it will not be able to make disciples. I just refuse to believe that. I mean, how did the early church do that? 3,000. I don't know. Go figure it out, right? I, that's not, no. Jesus knows what he's doing. He's a senior pastor. He puts you here for a reason, and he says, this is the edict for me. This is how it will happen. This is how it will roll out. This is what it looks like. So it's on us as the people of God to take his charge and say, let's walk side by side for the faith of the gospel with one mind and one heart as we strive to make learners of humble submitters of Jesus Christ. It's going to take work. going to take the rest of our life, but our eyes have to be aware of this. This is why this is a massive identity to who we are as a people, because we want us to understand this. I I believe a primary avenue for this will be growth groups. That's normal, Um, and a lot of you guys are sharing that. Praise God for that. You're in relationships now because of that platform and that lane for you. Um, Now, some of you are saying, I don't want to do that out of fear. What if I do that? What if I share something? They might betray me. Yeah, they might, and then it's a chance for discipleship, teaching them how not to betray you. Right? Um, Maybe you and your pride are going, I tried that, didn't work. Maybe it was you and not them. Um, I don't know what it is. I'm not saying that everyone has to, but I'm saying that's an avenue that's going to be helpful. We actually just, uh, there's a group that meets on Thursday nights that primarily deals with um, forms of addiction, and it's been a little bit more quiet, but um, it's now the the desire to be public, and wanted you guys to know about that. If if there's addiction that you wrestle with, you cannot seem to get freedom from, it's... it's, uh, Seven? Seven, eight, thirty. Thanks, Mike. Seven, eight, thirty. Want you to know it's going to be on our website. Um, and addiction, we say addiction, we don't mean like, and I mean this in seriousness, not as a joke. It's not just you're strung out on heroin in the evenings every night. I mean material addiction. I mean sexual addiction. I mean the idols in your life that fall prey on your heart often. This is a group where Jesus is graciously, clearly, emphatically laid before you as the only source of hope and freedom from that enslavement. And God's doing a profound work there. Um, so that's Thursday nights for men, every Thursday night right here in the classroom. Like Maybe that's a good on-ramp for you in growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But, but we want to provide avenues for that, but we want you also to take on the ownership of that, that God might help us by his grace. Now, this won't look the same for everyone, and let me just say, please don't beat yourself up about what you're not doing. <laughs> Start today. Ask God for help. 
Some of you guys, this is a radical shift in your mind, in your bank. You know, I never even, discipleship, wow, this is, this is a lot for you to chew on. Maybe you get with our brothers and sisters and say, hey, can you help flesh this out more for me? Maybe you email one of the pastors and say, hey, can, you, can I come and sit down and can you help me understand more of how this can be an integral part of my life? Let me close with two thoughts. For some of you, you feel so stagnant and stale in your relationship with Jesus because it might be that you find it impossible that God loves you, whether it's a besetting sin, whether it's something that happened to you when you were young, I don't know what it is, and maybe the best thing for you to do as you're hearing about this call of discipleship is to put all your cards on the table as to why you think God cannot love you and hear him say, cross, crucified, risen, dealt with, paid in full. And then confess that to someone and start walking. Maybe some of you need to do that. Lay all the cards on the table. Here's why I feel like I'm unworthy. Here's why I feel like I'm unlovable. Here's why I feel like I couldn't possibly be wanted by God. That's the beauty of God and the gospel we laid out for four weeks. God loves not based on seeing you as lovely. He does it because he is the essence of love. And that love transforms you. That God lays his son out on the cross for you, for your sin, for all your shame, for all your guilt. He removes it. That's expiation, the big theological term that happens in the cross of Jesus Christ. So that you don't have to walk in shame or guilt anymore or unworthiness because he says, hey, I died for you before you were you. I mean, us in this room, he died for us before we were born, right? And the people who were alive before Jesus, he died for after they were dead. They were believing in his work. We believe in what he's done. We anticipate his return and we love what God has done because he's made us worthy, not because we are, but because his son was and he counts us the worthiness of his son, Jesus Christ. Takes our sin, gives us his righteousness and makes us spotless, blameless, above the approach of form. Colossians 1 language. You were once alienated, hostile mind, doing evil deeds, a shipwreck, train wreck, everything haunted you, no way out and Jesus lifted the ceiling of your life and said get out of the box and enjoy me and worship me and have me now some of you can have that this morning I'm telling you some of you your guilt shame whatever is keeping you from believing lies the enemy is assaulting you with every single day you hear discipleship you're going I couldn't possibly do that yes you absolutely can because our God two weeks ago is alive he's not dead he resurrection demonstrated power that's unlike power you'll ever see in the cosmos. That's Jesus Christ, who you have. So hear me, hear me clearly. We don't serve a puny Savior. The big God Savior gets up in Matthew 28 before his ascension, leaves this to us and says, you go be about this. Okay. Yes, sir. You have all authority on heaven and earth. We're going to be about this because this is what you said will not fail. This is the way that your glory will be upheld. This is the way that we'll learn to enjoy you more. And the final thing I would say is others of you, you have no real concept of Christian discipleship because for you, your whole Christian life has been spectating and program-driven, not relationship-driven. And so what you think is, I gotta do the classes, I gotta finish the diamond, and then I'm done. I'm discipled. No, those programs are great. They're lanes that don't make you godly or produce godliness. They create lanes for you to grow in relationship. The purpose of those is so discipleship would continue. The point of growth groups is not an end in themselves, but it would form relationships so those would continue. We want to see people built up in grace and walk alongside one another. We're one big, goofy, beautiful mess, brothers and sisters. 
but yet we are fueled by his son in the gospel, informed by his word, so we can teach and encourage one another to observe all that he has commanded. May God help us to do that. Let's pray. God, would you give us help in this moment to be a people that are discipleship-driven. God, help us to learn. Help us to strive. Help us to confess. Help us to repent. Help us to exhort. Help us to encourage. Help us to love. Help us to outdo and honor. Help us to be a people that are not simply about making decisions, but about a life pursuit of the one who has bought us and freed us in his name. God, would you help fellow strugglers this morning? Those who are held captive by sin, would you free them in the power and person and work of Jesus Christ, not so that they simply experience feeling today, but a discipline, a courage, a striving in the coming weeks and months. God, would you help us not just to train sin, but desire to put it to death through the power of Christ. Would you form a people here that loves to walk with one another as students and learners and apprentices of Jesus Christ? And God, would you save some this morning? Would you bring some into the kingdom of God? Would you bring them to repentance and faith? Would they turn from sin and turn to you? Seeing you as lovely and glorious, we ask your Holy Spirit to illuminate eyes and illuminate ears, to give sight and hearing right now. And God, as we observe the supper, might it nourish us richly in remembering the saving benefits of Jesus and the broken body and shed blood of your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.